Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Puah, When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the bar stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, this morning we are continuing our summer, ser- summer sermon series on the heroes of the faith, on the biblical proportions and how we can look at heroes of biblical proportions, see what they embodied, and learn how to embody it in ourselves and in our own faith so that we can become heroes of faith. Today we are looking at Shifra and Puah. Now, if I told you this yesterday, before I read the scripture, and said, we're going to look at Shifra and Puah, you'd probably say, who? Some of you might say, oh, were those the sidekicks from the Lion King? Because these are not common names. This is the only time that they are mentioned in scripture. Some might say, why did you pick them as heroes? They're mentioned once and then fade into obscurity. But to understand why they're heroes, we have to look at the backstory a little bit. As we've learned through going through the narrative lectionary, the descendants of Abraham were led into Egypt. And there Joseph was second hand to the Pharaoh, and he interpreted his dreams, and they, they prospered. But today's scripture starts with a new king arose over Egypt. A king who did not know Joseph. 
A king who did not know Joseph's people did not understand them. And he was afraid of the Israelites. The Israelites were already servants, already enslaved, so they began to give them more and more difficult tasks. Harder and harder manual labor. He did this to oppress them, to inflict fear. But the more he made them work, the harder he made life for them, the more they spread and the more they multiplied. After all, God told Joseph that his descendants would number among the stars in the sky. So this made the Egyptian king even more fearful. He said, these people can turn against me. These animals, if my enemies were to come to war, would side with them and would rise up against me. I must diminish their strength. I must weaken them. And so he gathered the midwives together and said, separate the children from their parents. And if they're, when they're born, if it's a boy, kill the boy. Take away their strength. If it's a girl, you could let her live. What are girls anyway? But we, they shall have no men. And Shifra and Puah, the midwives, left. And the time came for the uh, Hebrew women to give birth, the Israelite women to give birth. And they knew what was right. They didn't care what the rules of the country said, what the laws said, what the king, the ruler had decreed. They knew in the heart what was right in the eyes of God. And so they refused to kill the children. They knew that they could get in trouble for this. They knew that their lives were on the line. And the king was furious. He called them before him and said, Why would you do this? Why would you break my law? Where is the trust? Where is the the obeying me? Why did you let the Hebrew men, boys, live? And Shifra and Pua were quick on their feet and they said, well, the, the, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are strong. They are hardy. They give birth before we can even get there. There was nothing we can do. Sounds fairly heroic to me. Shifra and Pua were just normal women. They were called into the position of midwife. They were Egyptian women, but they were charged with being midwife to the Israelites. But they were in a position of privilege and a position of power. They had more power than the Israelite women. They were charged by the king. And they used that power to do what is right. They stood up for what they believed. They said, we will not kill these infants. We will not harm these children. It doesn't matter what becomes of us. 
If we continue to read, we'd see that one of the Israelite children that they saved was Moses. Their actions, their willingness to stand up for what they believe changed the course of history. I can't imagine if Moses had never existed, what the world would look like today. The three major religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all trace itself back to, uh, to Moses and to Abraham before him. He's the basis of our faith. He led directly to Jesus Christ. And it's because of Shifra and Puah. Now, Jesus said that there are two great commandments. He said you should love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. He said, but second, just like it, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the prophets, all the laws, all the scriptures hang on these two commandments. Jesus was saying that everything in the Old Testament is summed up in love God and love neighbor. When asked who is our neighbor, he points to the Samaritan. To someone who would usually be viewed as an enemy, a stranger, a foreigner. And said he is our neighbor. And is extending his love and our love to everybody. Next week, several of us will be going down to Mars Hill, North Carolina for our, our annual mission trip. This is the fourth year we've participated. We've taken our, our biggest group yet. Uh, we participate with two other churches, and they bring bigger numbers, but they're bigger churches. And I did the math and figured percentages of people attending to percentages in worship, and we eclipse them. Our involvement, is, for percentage-wise, is, is wonderful and is a source of pride for me, and I love the work that we're doing. And every year we go, we pick a Bible scripture to choose as our theme. And this year, our theme comes from John 3:18. In this letter, it writes, Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. It's easy to say, I love you. It's easy to speak those words. But we have to back them up with what we do. Our love has to be shown in truth and in action. Jesus says to love God and to love neighbor. And we have to back this up with what we do. And it has to be true. And this is something Jesus showed time and again. Remember, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And if we're following the ministry that Jesus has called us to, we are called not to be served, but to serve. We are called to love God, to love our neighbor in truth and in action. Love is an action word. Love requires motion activity. We are called to care for the needs of the broken, the hurting, and the hopeless. I spent the last two weeks in Louisville, Kentucky, working on my doctorate. 
there's two different classes, and the first week was the pastor is biblical interpreter. And we examined conflict through the eyes of Paul's letter to Corinth, to First and Second Corinthians. And we dissected especially First Corinthians uh, over a week, 40 hours. That's all we talked about. And in it, Paul talks several times about how we all have different gifts. We have all been blessed with different gifts. Gifts from God. And we are to call to use these gifts in truth and in action. We are called to use these gifts to give love. Shifra and Pua were just ordinary Egyptian women, but they were put in a position where they had influence, they had privilege, they had power, they had opportunity. Those are gifts. And they use those gifts to do the right thing. To save the Hebrew children. To see, save the little infant boys that were born. There are other gifts that we might have. Wealth. Knowledge. Skills. Maybe even just the ability to be present. Never underestimate how much your presence can mean to someone else. Just being there. Maybe if it's just the opportunity to be in the right spot at the right time. First Peter 4.16 reminds us, Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace. Uh, 410, excuse me. I've got terrible handwriting. My zero looked like a six. And I was thinking, that doesn't at all remind me of what I wrote down earlier. Uh, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. God has given us gifts. And we are called to use those gifts to serve others and to serve God. To fulfill the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving neighbor in truth and in action. If we turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus himself speaks to this. When he says, From everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. God has given us gifts, but God expects us to use them. God expects us to use them to love God, to love neighbor, to serve others in truth and action. To serve the hurting, the hopeless, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the stranger among us. These are our neighbors. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must remember that we are all created in God's image. No matter what language we speak, no matter what we look like, no matter where we're from. We are God's beloved creature. We are neighbors. And Christ commands us to love one another. To whom much has been given, much will be expected. 
sometimes I find it helpful to turn to other theologians to, to get my bearing on things. And since we're studying heroes this summer, I thought I'd turn to the great theologian Peter Parker, better known as Spider-Man. Now, I'm pretty sure everyone here is familiar with Spider-Man, at least in a passing sense. If I were to sing Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a... See, you guys know Spider-Man. You might not know Shifra and Pua, but we know Spider-Man. Now, if you're familiar with Spider-Man, Peter Parker's backstory, he got bit by a radioactive spider. I hate when that happens. And as the days went by, he found himself having super strength, having sticky fingers, able to shoot webs out of his hands. Found himself taking on traits of the spider. And depending on which origin story you read or watch, As a high school kid, this made him kind of cocky, kind of arrogant. Now, he's used this at first to make a little bit of extra money because what high school student doesn't like extra money and began uh, fighting and wrestling in a makeshift uh, boxing ring and doing really well because he had this super spider strength. And one night, the promoter decided to stiff him. And he was upset. He's like, that's not fair. He's like, yeah, you're just a kid. Go away. And as Peter Parker was leaving, a robber came in and robbed the promoter and started to run off. And the promoter said, what are you doing? Stop him. Peter Parker said, well, it's not my problem. And the robber got away. Later that night, the robber encountered a kindly old man and tried to take his car. And the old man said, no, I'm here to pick up my, my nephew. I need this car. And the robber shot him and killed him. And that old man was Peter Parker's Uncle Ben. The man who raised him as a father, the man who was clear to him. That he loved. And because he failed to act, because he failed to protect someone in need, he lost someone close to him. And he realized that the problem of one is the problem of all. That we're all interconnected by a giant web, pardon the pun in the connection to Spider-Man. And that what affects one of us could affect any one of us or all of us. And he remembered one of the last conversations that he had with his uncle. And his uncle said, Peter, I could tell that you're becoming stronger. These are the years that the man you are becomes the man who you will always be. With great power comes great responsibility. To whom much has been given, much will be expected. We are called to love God and neighbor with all of our gifts. Whatever that may look like, whatever form it may take, whatever may gifts we may have at that time and place, we are called to love in truth and action. Amen.